0: Hi, my name is Ken Heinebrock. My heart's desire here at Hanging On His Words is to spread the entirety of the gospel message to whoever will hear it, and to serve my Creator by helping people learn how to be obediently in covenant with me. Hanging On His Words is a ministry that not only teaches others how to run this faith race, but does so through compelling video and musical content. If you are someone that has personally been blessed by my music or video teachings, or both, Please consider contributing to my efforts. My goals are to step up my music and video production value, and more importantly, to create content on a more frequent and full-time basis. This is where you,
1: you, yes, you,
0: my patrons can make this possible. Whether your support is financial or through prayers and encouragement, I just wanted to say thank you very much. Welcome back to Honor of Kings, season number three, hosted here this season at my channel. Hanging on his words, I am your host this season, Ken heidebrecht and with me, as always, is the word nerd himself, Sean Griffin.
1: <laughs> hey, Ken. Yeah, it's a it's a fun title I gave myself a while back, but ultimately that's what I feel like because I'm always reading the Bible and I love it. So I think it's actually given me the ability to look at some of these books that we do in Honor of Kings. And have a good bearing on whether they line up with the can of 66 or not so it's always a joy to do this show with you brother and i'm glad we could be back for episode
0: eight of season three ditto ditto brother and it's an applicable title that you carry and i think that uh the show unites word nerds from across the plane of the earth so we're united tonight guys thank you so much for joining us sean and i really appreciate you i'm just going to take a quick look in the chat to see who's joined us this evening mary w hello sister welcome paul levi welcome brother Nice to see you again. Psalm 119. Shalom. Mr. Stephen Schofield, one of our moderators. Shalom, brother. Thanks for joining us again tonight. Howard Sanford, brother. Nice to see you, brother. Thanks for joining us tonight. Who else we got here in the chat? David Shearer, always. Another faithful brother shows up every week, Sean. Welcome, brother. Nice to see you again. James 122. Shalom. Carolyn Pegner. Welcome. I I don't... Recall your name. You might be new. If you're not, I apologize, but shalom nonetheless. Thank you for joining us. Well, guys, tonight we are going to tackle another fascinating and brief book called the Prayer of Azariah. This book is uh, joined with the writings of Daniel and has been in the original Septuagint for thousands of years. And so, Sean and I just thought, since we're on a Daniel theme, why not end this this Theme with the uh, the last book here, the Prayer of Azariah, and so that's what we're going to be tackling tonight. I personally thoroughly enjoyed this book, Sean. Uh, it's just packed full of interesting little nuggets of word nerd gold, in my opinion.
1: Yeah, this this particular book it's very short, so we're going to be able to probably cover all of it this episode. But it, you know, you're gonna. We hear us talk about this further as we as we continue but you know it actually was widely accepted and even considered canonical by the you know the roman catholics and the eastern orthodox churches it's only the protestants that rejected this book um and so yeah it's it's kind of a mystery to me because at preparing for this show and, and like you know finding some of these parallel ideas and themes from scripture of the canon 66 it's just there's so many good gems in this particular book i have no clue why anyone would would want to take this out of daniel
0: I have no clue either, my friend. No idea. I think the Protestants protested a little too hard on this one, in my opinion. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) But uh, yeah, so for those of you who are new to this channel and uh, just the show in general here at Honor of Kings, what Sean and I do is we read and study books that have been in and out of other canons throughout history. We uh, discuss them. We see if they corroborate well with the uh, the theology that's taught in our Protestant canon of 66, and if they do, well, we give them a thumbs up. If they don't, then obviously they get the the alternative to that, which would be the thumbs down. We've covered a couple books that uh, we've given a thumbs down already, and it's been a fun and fascinating. Adventure so far. And I've thoroughly enjoyed doing this, Sean, with you and just with other brothers and sisters who have actually uh, gone over to our Honor of Kings Facebook page and have just uh, met us there asking questions and, and brought up their own, um, you know, questions regarding some of the books that we cover. So if you guys are interested, we have a, uh, a Facebook page, Honor of Kings, that you can look up and find us there. Every so often, we'll be in there just communicating with with people who have questions. And uh, yeah, we have a couple, actually, a couple different places. We have Kingdom in Context slash Hanging on His Words, which is another Facebook group, study group that Sean and I um, put out a while ago. And it's been a pretty uh, fascinating group, a very eclectic group of people that have come from many different denominations, seeking the truth and free to ask whatever questions they would like without the worry of being condemned or or looked at in a judgmental way. So if you guys want to find both of those pages, feel free to do that. And uh, it might be a good resource for you in case you don't have communities wherever you're congregating or wherever you live uh, where you can do such a thing. So yeah, feel free to find those and, and join the group.
1: Yeah, uh, one of the big reasons we wanted to start groups like that was because so people can ask questions you know a lot of people have questions they'll pop in through the week and and the good news the good thing about us you know both of you and i brother we've almost had our channels up for three years so we have a lot of people that have been following our channels as they've been growing and the people that have been with us for longer periods of time like they're becoming pretty pretty fluent in what we talk about and all the scriptural references that we have to show and support these ideas that get past some of the church misconceptions and misunderstandings and. And, you know, the scriptures that would support and um, the ideas of why we, you know, view certain apocryphal books like they should never have been taken out of the Bible, that kind of stuff. And so if if the new people coming in and they have questions, if you and I are actually too busy to address every single question, you've got like an entire community of people that are well versed that have seen our shows that can probably answer your question for you as well. So it becomes a, a networking community as a resource.
0: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, and networking is what we want to do in these last days, for sure. We want to get the word of God out and about across the planet of the earth. And so, yes, please utilize those platforms um, and take advantage of them while we still have yeah. them. And uh, yeah. So, Sean, what else do we got? Anything else you want to announce?
1: S- speaking of platforms, guys, there is a new platform coming out, new social media video marketplace it's it's revolutionary it's called lighthouse and so i just want people to to be aware of it um it is currently um i'm gonna pull it up real quick it's currently not launched yet but it's about to launch soon and i'll just put this on screen for folks
0: um yeah i am personally very excited for this sean yeah being a content yeah. creator i i i'm counting down the days my friend this. So yeah to-
1: one of the best things about this is that your each person is going to be able to have a social media you know pl- platform to make posts and get in groups and interact with your friends but also you'll have your own video channel and your own marketplace so there's a free e-commerce suite built into it for each individual that's using the profile for free so, guys, this, for anyone that's tried to start a business online, you know how valuable of a tool that is. And what we've done is we put free uh, marketing and networking tools inside the program itself, so that you know the three eyes are representative of the three facets of the platform of Lighthouse. Mm-hmm. You know, the red is the video, the blue is the social media, the green is the marketplace, and you can interconnect all three of those in the same in the same social media. So that you can actually increase your reach, you can increase your sales if you sell products and make stuff, or if you make content, you can create, uh, find new audiences much faster than on YouTube or BitShoot or Brighteon or any of those other places because we're not gonna, not only we're we not going to censor you, <laughs> which Ken, you and I both face censorship yep. in a variety of ways, both on social media and on YouTube. But not only is it a free speech platform where we're not going to censor people f- for their religious or political beliefs, but we're actually creating built-in tools to help you grow your content faster, to actually help your channel. If you make videos, if you're a YouTuber, we're going to help you collaborate with other YouTubers or other video content creators quickly. And if you want to say, uh, you know, Ken, say that uh, someone approaches you who, who makes products. So like that hat you that you're wearing right there, the guy who he would have a, a business on the marketplace of Lighthouse. And then whenever he makes that hat, he would say, Hey brother, do you want to promote that hat. And so then whenever you put up a video, you guys have already talked behind the scenes in the dashboard of Lighthouse. And then that hat would be for sale and visible on screen while your video is playing so that you guys can actually split proceeds for that because he's, you know, getting greater exposure to his products, to your audience. And then all the people that are following his business will be notified when your video comes out. So then you're going to get greater exposure to different types of audiences for your content. So it's, it's a wonderful love collaboration it. that we've tried to put together to help people grow instead of the current social medias, which only help people be divided because of the way the algorithms are programmed. I personally have been consulting on the algorithms for Lighthouse, and it's all intended for growth and community and fellowship. It's not intended to be divisive at all. So we're excited. We're super excited about it. And uh, check out. It's coming soon, guys. Lighthouse.
0: Yeah, I love it. I absolutely love it. And, uh, if you guys, before we move on, if you guys wouldn't mind subscribing to my channel, hang your handing on his words, as well as Sean's channel, kingdom and context, that would be awesome. Hit the bell for notifications for when we release new content. I know there's a brother in the chat that said that he, he's glad he made it here, but he didn't get a notification, even though he's got, he hit the bell for notifications. This is another reason guys, why we need lighthouse. That's right. That they actually release the notifications if you're a subscriber. So, Another thing to look forward to. So yes, Sean, let's jump into this book, brother. All right, let's do it.
1: So this is the prayer of Azariah. And uh, do you want the the first slide? Who wants to read first?
0: Yeah, I can read. No problem. Okay. Okay, so just to set up a little bit of context here, we've got the three Hebrews who are in Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar has already brought them into captivity and he had erected a golden image of himself. And uh, the people were to bow down to it a certain time of the day when certain music was was happening. And if you didn't, you would be under the death penalty. And so we've got these three Hebrew boys here who decided, no, we're not going to do that. Even though we're in captivity, um, we're still going to try to obey the Father the best that we can and remain in covenant with him. So they've refused to do that. Nebuchadnezzar essentially said, okay, guys, well, then you're going to, meet your demise here so this is where it picks up here in the book of daniel and they walked in the midst of the fire praising god and blessing the lord then azariah stood up and prayed on this manner and opening his mouth in the midst of the fire said blessed are you O lord god of our fathers your name is worthy to be praised and glorified forevermore for you are righteous at all the things that you have done to us yes true are all your works your ways are right and all your judgments are truth. And all the things that you have brought upon us and upon the holy city of our fathers, even Jerusalem, you've executed true judgment. For according to truth and judgment, did you bring all these things upon us because of our sins. And did you want to do the next slide, Sean? Or? Yeah, okay. For we have sinned and committed iniquity, departing from you. And all things have we trespassed and not obeyed your commandments, nor kept them neither done as you have commanded us, that it might go well with us, Wherefore, all that you have brought upon us and everything that you have done to us, you have done in true judgment. You did deliver us into the hands of lawless enemies, most hateful forsakers of God, into to an unjust king and the most wicked in all the world. And now we cannot open our mouths. We are become a shame and reproach to your servants and to them that worship you. Yet deliver us not up wholly for your name's sake, neither disannul your covenant, and cause not your mercy to depart from us, for your beloved Abraham's sake, for your servant Isaac's sake, and for your holy Israel's sake, to whom you have spoken and promised that you would multiply their seed as the stars of heaven and as the sand that lies upon the seashore. For we, O Lord, are become less than any nation and be kept under this day and all the world because of our sins. Another is there at this time, prince or prophet or leader or burnt offering or sacrifice or oblation or incense or place to sacrifice before you and to find mercy. Hmm. All right. So Sean, right off the bat, I couldn't help when I was reading this to think, first of all, the conies these guys have, right? Right. But not just that, but the fact that there, Azariah here is able to pray this. While in the midst of the most insane blaze of fire you could probably go into. I mean, Nebuchadnezzar, it says earlier in Daniel chapter three, that he was so upset with these guys for not, you know, bowing down to his idol that he made the fire seven times hotter than it would normally be for someone to be thrown into. So this thing is just insane. Yet, Azariah here is having a conversation and and glorifying the Lord right in the middle of this thing. That's, That's incredible.
1: Yeah, right in the middle. It's pretty amazing. Um, what it makes me, because we're going to read later, just like in the book of Daniel, this also uh, parrots the same idea that the guys who threw them in, the physical, you know, henchmen that threw them in, they actually get burned by the fire. So I don't know the, like, it makes my mind from an engineering standpoint wonder what was this actual furnace designed? What was the actual design or layout of the furnace itself? Because, like, how did those guys, how are they still so close to the fire? That they throwing them in there get burned by it, you know, and and so uh, it's just interesting to me how this yeah. because they clearly it's going to tell us here in a few uh, verses later how big they got the fire, which is massive. But, um, yeah, I just I've always wondered that it must be it's not it's not like just a big pit in the ground with the big fire in it and they just throw people in it.
0: Yeah. It's like an
1: actual brick structure like a huge furnace at the bottom of a big factory or something.
0: Yeah, exactly. It's like one of those factory smokestack type looking things. Yeah, exactly. That's how I envision it too. And I think that's how some scholars have actually um, drawn it out for it to work the way that we're talking about, because it would have to be constructed a certain way in order to successfully throw them in, but then have the, the mechanics of it work in a way where it actually burns the The soldiers that are doing it too properly so yeah yeah interesting
1: it's pretty pretty weird um but yeah this this is amazing because like clearly that their supernatural protection starts the moment they're thrown in
0: (laughs) yeah instantly instantly obviously yeah Yeah, i mean it's yeah yeah, absolutely and they obviously they they must have had the holy spirit upon them as well in a way because how are you able to bless and praise the father in the midst of this if, if I mean, obviously, we I don't want to get ahead of ourselves here. We know what happens, but you yeah. have to you have to be filled with with the Holy Spirit, in my opinion, in order to respond the way that we're reading about.
1: Hey, I know that what you're doing, you're just speculating. But I actually, I would agree with that speculation uh, just simply because what we're going to see from the from the attitude of Azariah as he's actually praying this throughout the rest of the like 50 something verses, because. Not only you know is the Holy Spirit on these guys, but I think there's a reason for it because these are the you know the companions of Daniel. And remember what we discovered with Bell and the dragon. Daniel was from a tribe of Levi; he was a priest. Yeah. So to me, it's it's my suspicion that these these guys were priests too, or at least being trained in that capacity uh, as as um, being of the tribe of Levi.
0: Yeah, quite possibly.
1: Because of the way they talk about certain things, I'll explain later. But um, yeah. and also having the heart that you're noticing right here. And so yeah,
0: I mean just to clear up any confusion, I think Daniel chapter 3 does talk about them being Jews, but that doesn't mean that they couldn't have been from the tribe of Levi because that was right. a, a moniker applied to all tribes that were scattered, right? That was just right. a name. Yeah. So, yeah.
1: Yeah, and some translations in Daniel 3 or Daniel 1 talking about them being from Judah. And yeah. so therefore again That's babylon invaded judah but as as i've tried to show in my identity crisis averted series um second chronicles chapter 30 and 30 through 35 like five whole chapters Shows us that there were a lot of people left over from the northern house that actually came down and assimilated into the southern house of judah There are literally eight and a half tribes of people represented in the the tribe the lower kingdom of judah when nebuchadnezzar invaded so this is why you would you would have levites were a part of that eight and a half tribes as well so yeah you would definitely they were all just kind of lumped into the moniker of being quote unquote the jewry is a is a second century term that arose like during the maccabees but also being jews or judah that's kind right. of where the word came from
0: yeah yeah important thing to note so what do we got highlighted here sean in the first so, slide
1: the first one i just talked about uh, all the things that you brought up on us upon the holy city of our fathers even jerusalem you've executed true judgment for according to truth and judgment, did you bring all these things upon us? And to me, like this is exactly what we see in. Um, in what well, this is what was promised to them. And then we see this like reiterated. Actually, I didn't I didn't have a parallel uh, verse for this one just yet, because there's so many in the book of Second Kings mm-hmm. with, you know, the Assyrian kings invading the northern house. And then over and then you get to chapter 23, Second Kings, you get Nebuchadnezzar invading um, actual Judah. Like we just talked about, so this is exactly what Isaiah prophesied. This is what Jeremiah and Ezekiel prophesied. This would happen, and it did happen. So they're repeating true history. Is the point I wanted to bring up?
0: Yeah, and this is what Moses prophesied too, right? We, we read about in generally. We read about that in Jubilees chapter one.
1: Yes, and yes. And Deuteronomy.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah, and and that's actually going to get more specific. And I and there's some there's some really good parallels later when we get more specific. But I didn't uh, verses six to ten. Did you have anything that stuck out to you?
0: Well, I mean, other than the fact that from six and seven, basically they're, they're just admitting corporately, which is very humble of them to, to be doing this in my opinion, because these guys could have actually been righteous, but because things got so lawless and, and the covenant was, um, you know. It wasn't there was no emphasis on remaining in covenant and you know, the father was so long suffering to the point where he he's like, OK, well, I'm going to I'm going to have to send this King Nebuchadnezzar uh, to do. You know, my bidding, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just interesting the way that Azariah words this. He's he's basically saying we've trespassed. We've we haven't obeyed your commandments. We didn't keep them. And you commanded us that if we did, everything will go well. Right. Which was prophesied. Right. Um, but I just love the attitude here of of this this man that he would include himself corporately in the sins. He just he I know he loves his nation, he loves his people, he loves he loves the covenant. In my opinion, he wants to be in it. He was trying his best to do it. Here we already have an instance of him not obeying Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, to you know, he's keeping the commandments. He's not bowing down to other gods. He's not serving other idols. So, right, you know, he's a commandment keeper, but he's corporately throwing this in because he loves his people so much. And I just love the way it's worded like that.
1: Yeah, it's it's a rare man that actually lumps himself in with transgressors, even though he may particularly not have been a transgressor. So that's me. That's like a level of of uh, integrity because he. You know, it's, to me, that's one of the things that leads me back to my theory that these guys, these three Hebrews in the fire, are actually being trained in the priesthood, or are from the Levites, like Daniel was, because that would be the attitude of an actual righteous Levite priest. Was he's responsible for the spiritual welfare of the nation of Israel, and they had failed during the days of Ezekiel, and also leading into Jeremiah with Nebuchadnezzar invading. They had failed. This is what we read about in the Apocalypse of the Brook. Yeah. You know, this is what the Testament of Levi talks about as well in Testament 12 Patriarchs. So it's like for the righteous remnant that had not failed. Yeah, they would feel guilt because they couldn't stop their, their brethren Levites from betraying the covenant of the priesthood and, and causing them, the people to, to worship idolatry and be invaded and scattered as was prophesied. So, right. yeah, it'd be, it's an interesting heart of this man. Um, 11 through 15, he continues on. Now, this is where it gets interesting, Ken, because this is actually where he starts to say, Yet deliver us not up wholly for your namesake, neither disannul your covenant. So even though they're they're in, they're scattered in Babylon, um, they're being persecuted right now by a wicked king who's literally trying to make them worship, break their covenant, and worship other gods, but they refuse to. And so, as he's praying this, literally at the point of, of receiving the death penalty, even though it's not going to work on them, <laughs> but yeah. as he's praying this, he's trying to remind Yahweh. Yet don't forsake us fully for your namesake, nor disannul your covenant and cause not your mercy to depart from us for your beloved Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob's sake. It's he used the word Israel, but that's Jacob. So I just think that's fascinating because this is actually what we see all throughout scripture. And someone who would know scripture, in my opinion, would definitely make this kind of prayer because you're calling upon the actual words that Yahweh's already promised multiple times and multiple generations before you.
0: Yes. Yes absolutely 100 i agree with that and it just reminds me of uh jubilees 117 where yahweh's like and i will not forsake them nor fail them for i am yahweh their god and like that's that's after he said you guys are going to go into the land you're Mm going to commit adultery you're going to you know worship other gods you're going to sacrifice your children to demons all these things i'm going to send witnesses to you mm-hmm. you're going to kill them you're not going to listen you're going to i'm going to be long-suffering you're still not going to come that's back right to yeah covenant. but even after that i have to scatter you but i will never forsake you nor my covenant
1: yeah uh, jubilees is a great book that that um has the same like very quickly puts it right out there in chapter one we also see that same sentiment being relayed in deuteronomy chapter 4 26 through 31 Um, This is, I'm not going to read the whole thing But I'll skip through it, people can see it on screen Where this is Yahweh talking through Moses to the people of Israel, saying the Lord will Scatter you amongst the peoples, you'll be left few A number among the nations, you'll serve other Gods, the work of man's hands, wood and stone Um, But from there you will seek The Lord your God and you will find him If you search for him with all your heart and all your Soul, when you are in distress And all these things have come upon you, in the latter days You'll return to the Lord your God and listen to his voice And here's the kicker, verse 31 for the Lord your God is a compassionate God He will not fail you nor destroy you Nor forget the covenant with your fathers Abraham, Isaac, and J- in Israel Which he swore to them So like this is right here in Deuteronomy He's telling him this is the sentiment That Azariah is praying Just like you, you quoted from Jubilees 1 And this is beautiful Because this is being announced right at the get-go Here at the end of the, the 40 years in the wilderness With Moses about to die at Mount Nebo And this is this is being reminded to this new generation The same thing that was told to the first generation with, which is Jubilees chapter 1. And so he's basically saying, look, because of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, and their faithfulness, the Father will not forget this covenant. You may be rebelled, you may be scattered, but he will not forget this covenant, which means if you turn in with all your heart and soul. And so this is repeated again in Judges chapter 2 by the angel of the Lord, who actually shows up in the days of the judges after the days of Joshua. In verses 1 and 2, he says, The angel of the Lord came up from Gilgal of Bochim, and he said, I brought you up out of Egypt and led you into the land, which I swore to your fathers. And I said, I'll never break my covenant with you. Can I just can if you just give me a minute, I just want to emphasize this. God said, I will never break my covenant with you.
0: <laughs> yeah, put, put some more emphasis on that, Sean, just so, so there's me, no ambiguity.
1: Let me hang on. Let me do something real quick. I think this is important for people. Guys, God said, I will never break my covenant with you. Never break it. Never.
0: Never means never.
1: Never, guys. He will never break it. There's a reason we're stressing this, because there's a prevalent teaching out there that claims that God broke his covenant with Israel.
0: Yes. Yes, and it's an unfortunate teaching because it's very alluring. It's very romantic in a way, um, but it's theologically incorrect, and it Unfortunately, it, it, casts, it casts a negative light on the father's character. That's
1: right. Yeah, because he have got all these words from the father previously that say the exact opposite. Even with Israel sinning and transgressing the covenant, even after they're scattered, the father claims, if after you're scattered, if you just repent and come back to me, I will show mercy to you. This is, this is also Leviticus 26. Uh, so like I said, I showed you Deuteronomy 4, Jubilees 1, Judges 2. King Solomon is praying this at the dedication of the temple in 1 Kings chapter 8, 45-50. Just real quick, he says, And when they sin against you, he's, this is Solomon praying to Yahweh about the people of Israel. When they sin against you, for there is no man who does not sin, and you are angry with them, and deliver them to their enemy, so that they take them away captive to the land of the enemy, far off or near. If they take thought in the land where they've been taken, and repent and make supplication to you in the land of those who have taken them captive, and they say, We've sinned and have committed iniquity. We have acted wickedly. This is exactly what Azariah is praying in the fire, Mm -hmm. right? He says, if they returned to you with all their heart, with all their soul in the land of their enemies, you who have taken the captive and pray toward their land, which you have given to their fathers, the city which you've chosen, the house which I built for your name, then hear their prayer and their supplication in heaven, your dwelling place and maintain their cause. Forgive your people who've sinned against you and all the transgressions which they've transgressed against you and make them objects of compassion before those who have taken them captive, that they may have compassion on them. This is exactly what we see happening throughout the entire book of Daniel. Yeah. Amen. Daniel received the compassion of like six different Kings and is kept alive the whole time.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> because
1: he refuses to bow to the bales because he's turning to God with all of his heart, because they acknowledge their sin and their repenting and their walk in repentance. And the father honors exactly what he repeated. Jubilees one, Deuteronomy four, judges two, first Kings eight, second Chronicles 30 is a living example of This this is actually before the southern kingdom is taken by Nebuchadnezzar, and this is in Second Chronicles 30. This is a small snippet. I, I encourage anyone watching, go read the entire chapter, guys. It says it so clearly, even after the northern house was scattered and the southern house had not been invaded and scattered yet, there were still remnants of multiple tribes from the northern houses that repented and came back and celebrated the feast of Passover, which is a hundred percent covenant meal. And this yeah. is what you're looking at on screen, guys. If you look down at verse 11 here, it tells you, literally, it tells you that the, these guys came back. Because this is what Hezekiah was telling them. Hezekiah was like, guys, come back. If you repent, if you're not like, like it says in verse uh, if it, verse 9, for if you return to the Lord your brother's, If you return to the Lord, your brothers and your sons will find compassion before those who led them captive and will return to this land. For the Lord, your God's gracious and compassionate, will not turn his face away from you if you return to him. So the carriers passed from city to city through the country of Ephraim and Manasseh, as far as Zebulun, but they laughed in them to scorn and mocked them. Nevertheless, which means, regardless of the people that rejected this offer, there were some men of Asher, Manasseh, and Zebulun, who humbled themselves and came to Jerusalem. And this is where they celebrate the Feast of Unleavened Bread and Passover. So, your, this doctrine that we've run into so much, Ken, which tries to claim that the moment that the Assyrian kingdom was invaded by the Assyrian kings, that God had divorced them. This is what we get these, you know, Isaiah chapter 50, where you, where Isaiah talks about God issuing a certificate of divorce. Get Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 8, where God issues, talks about through the prophet Jeremiah, how he had given Israel a certificate of divorce, but then Judah Returned to him in treachery, did not return to him in wholehearted faithfulness, which is why he was about to scatter Judah as well. Mm-hmm. So, guys, this, this whole concept, that language of the divorce, yes, is a metaphor talking about being scattered from the land. But this whole time, he's already promised them, even if I scatter you from the land. Guys, we could go back to those verses that Ken and I just cited and read from Jubilees 1, Deuteronomy 4, Judges 2, First First Kings 8, and we could just insert the word scattered with the word divorce. It's yeah. the same concept. So all these previous moments where Yahweh is telling him, look, you're going to rebel and I'm going to scatter you. He's saying, I'm going to divorce you from the land, not from, co- but in the same breath, he says, I will not break my covenant with you. Yeah. So yes. it hurts my heart to see so many people running around claiming God divorced Israel and they were out of covenant for 700 years until Yeshua showed up. That is theologically Suicidal compared to all these verses that are in the scriptures and the entire breadth of the middle of the Bible.
0: Yes. I mean, brother, I love that you've pulled up obviously all the verses you have, but Second Chronicles 30 here, where it's the last part, nevertheless, some of the men of Asher, Manasseh, Zebulun humbled themselves and came to Jerusalem and they went to keep the Passover, right? Yeah. And so Passover, for, for those of you who aren't familiar, is one of the feast days that the Father has inaugurated into the covenant itself it's they're his days and his people are instructed to keep them and to celebrate because they have, they're very specific in terms of eschatology in terms of the kingdom itself and how they relate. And so if they're able to keep this Passover, that directly correlates to the fact that the covenant must still be something that is active and That's isn't right. done away with, or, you know, put on a hold or something like that. So Great point of context, Sean, to bring this up. And yes, guys, we stress this more than we have because, unfortunately, as as Sean said earlier, there's there's some pretty mainstream teachings in the H uh, R M movement that teach opposite to what the scriptures are saying about this. So
1: yeah, there's yeah. actually two veins of it, Ken. There's there's one vein that tries to declare that um, this the Northern House when they were invaded by the Assyrians and scattered that they were out of covenant, can't get back in until Yeshua shows up okay which personally to me just lets me know that they don't understand the priest of Yeshua nor the Torah but that's that's one of the veins of that actual teaching the secondary vein of that teaching is that the northern house was scattered but the southern kingdom was not was uh, yes they were exiled and they were scattered from the land but they were not broken covenant that's yes. what they try to say right they it's just a straight up hypocrisy of, of theological application
0: even so, though Sean's second Baruch would say, that- Otherwise, to the fact that Judah was even more treacherous than her sister, than yeah, her northern that's sister. That's actually right?
1: Jeremiah chapter three, verses nine through twelve. So the famous passage that's used in that theory, which is Jeremiah three eight, that God divorced the, the you know Israel. They don't read the rest of the passage. It's literally in the same passage in verses nine through twelve, where it says, "If you return, I'll take you back."
0: yeah <laughs> Yeah, like
1: it's yeah. And it has nothing to do with Yeshua showing up. It's literally what we see in the rest of the books that happen after the invasions of the northern and southern kingdom. So, alright, so stay with me for a minute, guys, because what we're talking about here is two, two concepts that are being taught that the prayer of Azariah directly refutes. Now, I've already done a, several videos that refute it as well, but it's just worth mentioning in this little, little bitty book because it does directly refute this, this very prevalent teaching that God divorced the northern house of Israel and Some of them teach the southern house as well. So I just showed you on screen, 2 Chronicles 30, men from the the already quote-unquote divorced northern house coming back to Judah, keeping covenant practices, repenting, and God takes them back. So that way, by the time Nebuchadnezzar comes in about 100 years later and invades Judah, there's an assemblance within the territory of Judah of approximately eight and a half tribes of Israel. It's not just the the Levites, the Simeonites, and the and the the tribe of Judah. It's eight and a half of them. This is why, like, I love the fact that Asher is actually mentioned in verse eleven because we actually see this at Jesus's birth in Luke chapter two with the prophetess in the temple. From the tribe, that means one hundred percent covenant, guys. From the tribe of Asher, there's a prophetess in the temple in Luke chapter two at Jesus's birth, guys. This is a very wonky doctrine. So now let's talk about that. That's the people that stayed in the land and assimilated into Judah for safety and provision and commerce and all that. And they're getting back in covenant while the northern area was becoming Samaria and it was controlled by the Assyrian kings. Well, let's talk about the actual scattered. "Quote unquote," divorced the scattered inhabitants of the northern houses. Let's go specifically to one who actually wrote to us about his life. He was of the first tribe of the northern house of Israel that was scattered from Naphtali. It's a guy named Tobit, and,
0: and we Tobit, covered him in season two, right, Sean?
1: We did. And this may be a quick reminder for anyone that didn't see those episodes. Tobit is across the Euphrates in the land of Assyria, under control of um, extremely wicked, you know, uh, Assyrian king at this time. He's not out of covenant, guys. In his mind, in Tobit's mind, he's not out of covenant. Why? Because he probably knows the verses we just read to you from Jubilees, Deuteronomy 4, Judges 2, First Kings 8. This is Tobit's own words in, in Tobit 2:1. Now, when I come home again, and my wife Anna was restored to me, and my son Tobias, and the feast of Pentecost, which is the holy feast of the seven weeks, there was a good dinner prepared for me in which I sit down to eat. This is him keeping a covenant feast in Assyria as he's being scattered. He's already been scattered. He's across the Euphrates, in a foreign army's control. He's still keeping covenant behavior and walking in righteousness and doing the Torah. Yeah, so guys, this Amen. teaching that's been spread around is absolute bunk. It is completely out of line with the scriptures in a variety of ways. So there's just a few examples. But what I love, Ken, is this this passage right here because it's to me. I don't know if you caught this or not. You know, when we were reading the the, the latter portion of. Um, let me go back up this uh, this latter portion here, verse fifteen of the prayer of Azariah. Mm -hmm. Talks about being no time for prince, prophet, leader, burn offering, sacrifice, oblation or incense, you know, because he's so basically saying, like, how are we going to find mercy? Because the temple's been destroyed. The priesthood's been scattered. You know, they're they're not doing the normal ordinances of that are commanded to them as, you know, to make atonement for the people. So he's asking, like, how are we going to even find mercy? And I think this is interesting because that's exactly what, by the way, that um, Solomon prayed in First Kings eight that I read you solomon's like when they've done all these things he's praying for mercy ahead of time for them (laughs) but (laughs) nothing ahead yeah yeah, he's you know he actually did a lot of other things to plan ahead i'm covering that in some other 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 videos but a lot of people would ascribe this particular verse here to what the prayer of azariah is talking about what do you i don't personally know if that quite applies but what do you think about this
0: um not sure
1: The the thing that it sounds like it applies, but the thing that catches me, it says, and they will come trembling to the Lord to his goodness in the last days, because this is the part where they actually do return. The sons of Israel will remain for many days without a king or a prince, without sacrifice or sacred pillar, without ephod or household idols after the sons of Israel will return and seek the Lord, their God. So this is not talking about one house or the other. You know, as we know that the the people that were taken with Nebuchadnezzar in the southern kingdom, all the assemblances of the eight and a half tribes, they did try to come, a portion of them tried to come back when they were allowed to by Cyrus. Right.
0: Yeah, that's right. But the
1: northern house and those who had already been scattered stayed scattered. Mm -hmm. So this is where to me personally, this Hosea Hmm. 3, 4, not only only is it talking about literally the last days, so it gives us a time qualifier of, you know, the day of the Lord. Um, and this big return of the resurrection and all this time period from the second scattering after the days of Yeshua leading up to the return of Yeshua. And that's that's actually a bigger, deeper show that's been prophesied multiple times in the Testament to all patriarchs. Yeah. But and also in the book of Enoch. But this particular passage, I, some people would try to push into the prayer of Azariah in that moment. But I personally think he's just referring to the time that they're been prophesied, the 70 years that they're prophesied yes. to be in Babylon.
0: Yes, that's yeah, that's how I would see that because clearly i mean the the qualifier here is that it's referring to them trembling to the lord and his goodness in the last days so yeah that that's how i would see it just as you said yeah yeah Yeah, that makes sense but it's interesting brother because i mean back in second chronicles where it talks about in verse nine for if you return to the lord your brothers and your sons will find compassion before those who led them captive so we're actually going to see this, right? They're returning to the Lord, right? Azariah is praying to the Father and Nebuchadnezzar, who apparently was the most wicked king in the world during this time, shows them compassion. And that's right. His response is really interesting. I mean, I want to I don't want to give it away, but he he definitely decides to to go on board with Yahweh being the king of kings and Lord of lords and makes an edict across his right. land basically yeah. saying he is the God of gods.
1: Yeah. So. And this is the big result of this from Daniel chapter three and four. So yeah. in fact, a lot of people may not realize, but this book, what we're reading here, this prayer of Azariah, this was actually it, it, like in the Septuagint Bible, it, it immediately followed Daniel chapter three, verse 23.
0: Yes. Yeah. So this it, so
1: like if you were living in the days of Yeshua, then you could basically, you picked up a Septuagint and you would, you would start to, go to Daniel chapter three and at verse 23, you would see the prayer of Azariah inserted in there before you, you carried on with the rest of Daniel. So like it would be it's because it's literally the same context. It fits in perfectly. Yeah, it does. So, but speaking of, we'll go to a, a quick fun fact and then we'll be back. Ken.
0: Adam and Eve introduced sin into the world, and their act removed our ability to walk around unrestricted. No need to worry though, hanging on his words has got you covered. Literally. Find a link in the video description. Hey, welcome back to Honor of Kings season number three with Sean and I. We are covering the book of Prayer of Azariah. And we've only gotten through a handful of verses and there's several more to do. So we're going to jump right back into that. Sean, did you want to pick up there or do you want me to read?
1: Here in verse 16, it says, Nevertheless, in a contrite heart and humble spirit, let us be accepted, like as in the the burnt offerings of rams and bullocks, and like as in 10,000 of fat lambs. So let our sacrifice be in your sight this day and grant that we may wholly go after you, for they shall not be confounded that put their trust in you. And now we follow you with all our heart. We fear you. We seek your face. Put us not to shame, but deal with us after your loving kindness and according to the multitude of your mercies. Deliver us also according to your marvelous works and give glory to your name, O Lord. And let them that do your servants hurt be ashamed. And now fear the Lord, my children. Beware of Satan and his spirits. Oh, I'm sorry, guys. (laughs) I'm I'm sorry. I included here. I'll keep going real quick, but we can jump back to that slide.
0: Sure.
1: Uh, I had some slides in there to compliment and then verse 21 it says and let them be confounded in all their power and might and let their strength be broken and let them know that you're God the only God and glorious over the whole world and the king's servants that put them in ceased not to make the the oven hot with rosin pitch tow and small wood so that the flame streamed forth above the furnace 40 and nine cubits and it came to pass through the burned and it passed through and burned those Chaldeans it found about the furnace. But the angel of the Lord came down into the oven together with Azarias and his fellows and smote the flame of the fire out of the oven and made the midst of the furnace as it had been a moist whistling wind, so that the fire touched them not at all, neither hurt nor troubled them. Then the three, as out of one mouth, praised, glorified, and blessed God in the furnace, saying, Blessed are you, O Lord God of our fathers, and to be praised and exalted above all forever, and blessed is your glorious holy name, and to be praised and exalted above all forever. Ken, I'll just stop right there real quick. Yeah, for sure. Quick discussion.
0: Pretty amazing moment we got here, guys. I mean, the order of events seem interesting because we have Azariah, you know, essentially l- lamenting in a way and, and fessing up for their sin and then um, saying everything that Sean just read. But then we have this uh, angel of the Lord come and we're going to touch on that before we get to that. We can we can talk about verse 16 and 17 that we have highlighted there, Sean. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I just think it's it's interesting here that they're actually, he's talking about, you know, the heart that they have, this this idea that because the temple's not in, in, in use right now, mm-hmm. like we talked about in the Apocalypse of Baruch, and, and as we see in Ezekiel and, and Jeremiah, we know that the temple's destroyed when Nebuchadnezzar comes in and invades Judah. So therefore, the priesthood is not active. There's, there's the the daily uh, sacrifices are not being made. The Sabbath, the weekly Sabbaths aren't. The feast days aren't. David' atonement's not being done. And this, and the Father prophesied that this would take place. That this, this you know, lack of temple service would would not be happening for seventy years. So the mindset of this guy, who I think personally I think is a priest, but the mindset of this guy is in his prayer as he's saying, you know, like consider our our repentance, our contrite heart and our humble spirit to be as if we were offering rams and bullocks and a thousand fat lambs before you, Mm -hmm. because they all know that they can't physically go through the motions and do that. But what I think is fascinating, Ken, if I could, is that this is actually okay. So this brings up like a couple different questions. Okay. So I'm trying to, I'm going to try to make this as quick as possible. (laughs) So this brings up a couple different things that people ask you all the time. It's like, they're like, so, People will say, well, look, if the Torah is relevant and and God told them to practice this, and, and I actually threw in that word and I shouldn't have because so many people don't use that. They don't think of doing the law of God on the earth as practice, but that's what God explained to Israel, mm-hmm. which is what the writer of Hebrews tries to explain in Hebrews chapter 8, 1 through 5, that the true tabernacle. The one that really matters is in heaven above. And that's where the angels have a priesthood. They're doing their thing. Yeshua assumed a priesthood of greater authority than even the angels. And he's ministering in that tab- tabernacle above, which is the true tabernacle. That's what Hebrews explains to us in Hebrews 8, 1 through 5. So that means the one on the ground, as the verses tell us, is a copy and a shadow. Yep. And they're practicing. They're going through the motions in practice. It's a stage play. Yes, it matters. Yes, God held them accountable for practicing. But at the same time, that was not truly making atonement for them. Yes. It's precisely. the true tabernacle in heaven that was truly making atonement for them. So, with the when when Israel scattered, both north and southern house, and they're in the land of their oppressors and they're praying to God for repentance, somebody's making atonement for them.
0: It's almost like there's a proxy priesthood lingering.
1: That's right. Where would that be? <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, for those of you guys who haven't, um, watched Sean's milk and meat uh, episode where I joined him where we talked about angels and their characteristics and their roles and and just their overall function within Yahweh's creation model I'd highly suggest you you go back and and view that Sean has it on his channel I also have it on my uh, true sleuth playlist if you guys want to check that out but uh, angels
1: angels who guys would
0: have, who would have known testament
1: of dan would have known and guys, this is something we've covered in season two. We covered the Testament of Twelve Patriarchs in a future in a few, ch- in a few um, episodes, but this is one that um, these are one of these first century books like Enoch and Jubilees that the the rabbis decided they didn't want people reading anymore. So this yeah. was it used the the Testament of Twelve Patriarchs, and including this book you're looking at on the screen, the Testament of Dan, is one of the is one of the books included in the Testament of Twelve Patriarchs. Um, This was a regular part of the Hebrew literature that people read that they considered scripture up until the first century A.D. So what the Testament of Dan says about this very topic that we're talking about in verses one through seven, he says, And now fear the Lord, my children, beware of Satan and his spirits, draw near unto God and unto the angel that intercedes for you. For he is a mediator between God and man and for the peace of Israel, he shall stand up against the kingdom of the enemy. Therefore is the enemy eager to destroy all that call upon the Lord. For he knows that upon the day on which Israel shall repent, the kingdom of the enemy shall be brought to an end. For the very angel of peace shall strengthen Israel, that it fall not into extremity of evil. And it shall be in the time of the lawless of Israel, that the Lord will not depart from them, but will transform them into a nation that does his will. For none of the angels will be equal unto him. And his name shall be in every place in Israel and among the Gentiles.
0: Well, Sean, there's so much in there, but I wanted to highlight verse seven, where this also yeah. iterates this idea that the Lord, even though these people will go through a time of lawlessness in Israel, mm-hmm. the Lord will not depart from them. That's and in right. fact, he's going to transform them into a nation that does his will. That's right. It's beautiful. awesome,
1: And and of course, you're, you're jumping in verse seven, and that's actually going to jump into, you know, Yeshua's priesthood, because that's why he, for none of the angels will be equal to him. This is what Hebrews chapter one tells us that yeshua was made greater than the angels but if we look up in verse 1 and 2 uh, or verse 2 it says draw near unto god and unto the angel that intercedes for you for he is a mediator between god and man guys think about what we're what we're looking at here before yeshua showed up before he lived died and resurrected and attained to his priesthood we have we have the angels in heaven are the ones that are mediating for the sins of israel This is is literally the process that the Father set in motion since day one of creation. This is why in Psalm 74 and Psalm 102, and also repeated in Hebrews chapter 1, the angels are called his ministers. They're sent out to help those who are inheriting salvation. That's a word for a priest, guys. Mm -hmm. This is why in Exodus chapter 28, verse 1, Aaron and his sons, who are attaining to the priesthood, are called ministers unto the Lord. It's the same concept. The angels in heaven are priesthood of God, just a different class, a different type. This is why um this is this is why this is happening so in case anybody ever wonders so wait yeshua was was made a was prophesied to become a high priest for us so that he can atone for our sins well who was atoning for our sins before him god already had that taken care of
0: exactly exactly he did and as we just read in the testament of dan um that information i mean it just flat out tells you that there's there's an angel that mediates between god and men but these patriarchs often talk about having the writings of enoch Mm -hmm. and so we do see in the book of first enoch angels acting in ministerial priestly roles as well as in the book of jubilees i mean they're cutting covenants they're blessing people they're doing like everything that relates to a priesthood and its function Angels are doing that's right. So it's, it's a, it's a very important and not seen attribute within the Protestant canon of 66, unfortunately, but it is in other canons. And it's a huge, it's a huge area that gets missed within our theology. I mean, it, it fills in massive gaps and it's a very, very important thing to understand.
1: In fact, I think you mentioned the book first Enoch. It, it literally tells you in chapter 15, God is reprimanding the bad watchers and and because they had asked Enoch to intercede for their sin and he's reprimanding he's telling Enoch in Enoch 15
0: mm-hmm.
1: he's like you wait a minute wait a minute you shouldn't be interceding for them they're supposed to be interceding for you yep. so like it literally tells you exactly what the testament of dan here is saying that the angels are supposed to be interceding for for mankind uh, of course, obviously requires repentance, but the, that's that's the idea here that we get with First Timothy two five speaking about Yeshua that there is one God and there's one mediator also between God and man. That's the man Jesus Christ, Jesus. Mm-hmm. So, this so is the, the
0: the emphasis, Sean, sorry, the emphasis I want to put on that verse is the man Christ Jesus.
1: Right, he's right. the resurrected man. Yeah, he's no longer he he left his glorified state and came and birthed as a man and then was resurrected as a glorified man, a new creation. Exactly. Yeah, so he's not even an angelic Like he's given a body like an angel But he's greater, he's been an incorruptible body That's greater than the angels So that's, um, you know, we could go on a whole show About that, but okay. but this is the actual passage In Hebrews chapter 1 that's referring To what we just read from the Testament of Dan Chapter 6 verse 7, talking about The Lord who, be, you know, will attain to a Greater uh, authority than the angels A greater name than the angels, and this is exactly What Yeshua fulfills In his prophecy to make atonement for us In the true tabernacle above even though currently, right now, there is no oblation, there is no sacrifice, there is no incense being offered, there's no standing temple. So, just like in the days of the prayer, of Azariah, he was in a 70 year period where the earthly temple was not operating. We're in like a huge 2000 year period that was prophesied that the temple is not operating, or at least the one on the ground, but the one in heaven's always been operating and it'll never stop operating. And that's the one that Yeshua is in right now. It's Hebrews chapter one, verse four through six says, having become as much better than the angels as he has inherited a more excellent name than them. And that's that word name in the Hebrew means authority. And that's what comes with the priesthood is you get an authority over Israel. He says, for to which of the angels did, did God ever say, you're my son. Today I've begotten you. And again, I will be a father to him and he shall be a son to me. And when he again brings the firstborn into the world, he says, and let all the angels of God worship him. So this is, you know, just this, this isn't, sorry guys. This isn't like a, an Honor King's episode on the Testament of Dan, but like it's so fitting to what Azariah is praying in this moment because he's in, he's scattered. There's no temple. He knows there's no one can make atonement for their sins. So he's saying, look, in, in light of all this, if you would just consider my repentant, heartfelt, contrite, humble spirit to be as repentance, he knows there's already a process taking place in heaven that is covering him for atonement to the father. And this is the process that's laid out that Yeshua steps into that process after his resurrection and glorification. Yeah. I'm sorry for going off too much.
0: No, no, no. This is important, brother. Yeah. This is important. And this is part of Honor of Kings. We jump around. And this (laughs) that's what we do. We jump around. Yeah. Get up, get up, and get down. We jump around. Yes, that's
1: right. All
0: right. So I'm gonna where are we at? Verse 21 here, Sean. Yeah. Okay. I'll pick up from here.
1: I think, uh, I think, I'm think i sorry, I think I finished this up. It just talks about how big the fire was and the, the guys that threw the man got burned. Right, yes. So 49 cubits, what is that, uh it's, like it's like a six, seven story building.
0: Yeah, it's about 70 feet, I would say, isn't it? Yeah, Roughly. it's a pretty big building. Yep. Okay, so yeah, we, I think we covered this too, but we can let, let's just discuss this actually because it's interesting. Um, I wanted to touch on verse 26 where, we're, I mean, we're just talking about angels. So here we have fitting an angel of the lord coming down into the oven and it's interesting just how it words this it says that he smote the flame of the fire out of the oven and um in the midst of the furnace he kind of encapsulated them with a moist whistling wind so that the fire wouldn't touch them at all or hurt them that's that's very fascinating. Um, angels, they're very, very cool with what they can do. And this is actually something we read in another interesting book, which I don't know if we're going to cover this, Sean, but 3rd Maccabees, mm-hmm. I wanted to just highlight in chapter 6, verse 6, where it's recorded a similar detail regarding this incident here in uh, Prayer of Azariah. It says, The three companions in Babylon who had voluntarily surrendered their lives to the flames so as not to serve vain things you rescued unharmed even to a hair moistening the fiery furnace with dew and turning the flame against all their enemies and so it it says you rescued unharmed and he's referring to god but through the agency of an angel obviously we we see it was an angel of the lord but this corroborates with this idea of moistening their environment around them putting them in a protective water bubble essentially so that they wouldn't get burned i just how cool would that have been to, to I, know about that growing up? You know, that would have made the this, this story of the three men thrown into the fiery furnace all that more intriguing, in my opinion.
1: Yeah. And what's what's beautifully fitting to me is because of the what we know about angels from scripture, how they're called uh, flames of fire. They're called the winds and they're also made of water. So it's like these are all these three components like these not afraid to step into a fire. He's not afraid to, he can produce the winds around him. And then he's literally in the winds is like a moistened water barrier to protect. It's like all fitting with, with literally the creation of an angel itself and and what they're comprised of. So I just think it's beautiful.
0: Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. And I mean, some people might think, okay, an angel of the Lord. Well, is that referring to Yeshua? Is that a a pre-incarnate visitation of Jesus in the old Testament? And several years ago i would have actually thought that because i was taught that that idea and i just want to highlight that the text doesn't a say that but if you look at other versions like in um uh, where is it the uh, the english translation of the greek septuagint with the theodosian old greek septuagint version it talks about how the appearance of the fourth angel or the fourth person is in the likeness of a divine angel so this is nebuchadnezzar later on and we're not going to get to this part but he, it talks about how he's looking in and he's like wait a minute i see four guys in there and it's in the one of them is in the likeness of a divine angel that's the old greek version so when we actually look at the other versions that we have in our bible sometimes depending on which version you're looking at like the, the king james or any of its derivative versions says it's like the son of god which to me, the text doesn't say that, especially when you right. pull it up in um, the Hebrew. There are other versions that say looks like a son of the gods or the fourth looks like a god. Right. And so John and I have talked about this a lot on our channels. Um, I'm actually working on a video right now that, that's going to fully expound upon the, the Hebrew term Elohim or the Greek word Theos and just what the word God is. I mean, it, it's another one of those... Words that unfortunately we don't get taught properly in our upbringing within Christian circles And so it's 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 important to understand that angels Are classified as gods just like certain men are classified as gods. It's it's just a position of authority It represents a position of authority. Yahweh is the supreme authority the supreme God of all gods yeah, it doesn't so, mean
1: you're you're polytheistic. So don't let the Calvinists and the Reformed theologians scare you. It doesn't mean that you're polytheistic. It doesn't mean that you're an idolatry for all the Baptists out there. It literally it has a definition to the word. And this is the part, like, you try to get people to, to like, just slow down. And let's look at the mm-hmm. definition of the word. And it literally, you see that it's a place for r- rulership. Um, and there's multiple definitions of that word. And some of them apply to angels, depending on how it's used. So this is exactly why you would have Yeshua being called A God in Hebrews chapter one, verse eight, which is just parodying Psalm 45, six, and seven. So Yahweh, the father calls his son, Yeshua, God, Mm -hmm. because Yeshua was destined to be a ruler over us as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So that's how that term is easily broken down.
0: Yeah, exactly. And for those interested, I, I released a video about a year ago called who was really in the fire where I talk about this a little bit more, expound on some of the, the details there So, It's just interesting, right? I mean, here we have, once again, it's, it's an angel that the father created on day number one, according to Jubilees chapter two, doing what he's told to do, right? In the agency yeah. of the father, the father saved these three men through his ability to put them in a, a water bubble, essentially. So it's fascinating stuff, Sean.
1: Yeah, it truly is. Yeah. Um- next one he kind of goes into a series of blessings here do you want me to read through these real quick yeah yeah give her okay so verse 31 uh, azariah continues to pray and he says blessed are you in the temple of your holy glory and to be praised and glorified above all forever Blessed are you that beholds the depths and sits upon the cherubim and to be praised and exalted above all forever. Blessed are you on the glorious throne of your kingdom and to be praised and glorified above all forever. Blessed are you in the firmament of heaven and above all to be praised and glorified forever. O oh, all you works of the Lord, bless the Lord, praise and exalt him above all forever. And then verses uh, 36 through 40, he says, he continues saying, "O oh, you heavens, bless the Lord, praise and exalt him above all forever. O you angels of the Lord, bless the Lord. Praise and exalt him above all forever. O you all you waters that be above the heaven, bless the Lord. Praise and exalt him above all forever. O all you powers of the Lord, bless the Lord. Praise and exalt him above all forever. O you sun and moon, bless the Lord. and Praise him and exalt him above all forever. Verse 41, he says, O you stars of heaven, bless the Lord, praise and exalt him above all forever. O every shower and dew, bless the Lord, praise and exalt him above all forever. O all you winds, bless the Lord, praise and exalt him above all forever. O you fire and heat, bless the Lord, praise and exalt him above all forever. O you winter and summer, bless the Lord, praise and exalt him above all forever. Verse 46 through 50, he says, O you dews and storms of snow, bless the Lord, praise and exalt him above all forever. O you nights and days, bless the Lord, bless And exalt him above all forever Oh you light and darkness bless the Lord Praise and exalt him above all forever Oh you ice and cold bless the Lord Praise and exalt him above all forever O you frost and snow, bless the Lord, praise and exalt him above all forever. O you lightnings and clouds, bless the Lord, praise and exalt him above all forever. And let the earth bless the Lord, praise and exalt him above all forever. O you mountains and little hills, bless the Lord, praise and exalt him above all forever. O all of you things that grow in the earth, bless the Lord and praise and exalt him above all forever. O you mountains, and bless the Lord, and praise and exalt him above all forever. O you seas and rivers, bless the Lord, praise and exalt him above all forever. O you wells and all that moves in the waters, bless the Lord, praise and exalt him above all forever. And O all you fowls of the air, bless the Lord, praise and exalt him above all forever. O all you beasts and cattle, bless the Lord, praise and exalt him above all forever. O you children of men, bless the Lord, and praise and exalt him above all forever. O Israel, bless the Lord, and praise and exalt him above all forever. O you priests of the Lord, bless the Lord, and praise and exalt him above all forever. O you servants of the Lord, bless the Lord, praise and exalt him above all forever. O you spirits and souls of the righteous, bless the Lord, and praise him and exalt him above all forever. O you you holy and humble men of heart, bless the Lord, praise and exalt him above all forever. O Ananias, Azarias, and Mishael, Bless the Lord. Praise and exalt him above all forever. For he has delivered us from the hell and saved us from the hand of death and delivered us out of the midst of the furnace and burning flame. Even out of the midst of the fire has he delivered us. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord because he is gracious for his mercy endures forever. Oh, all that you worship the Lord, bless the God of gods, praise him and give him thanks for his mercy endures forever.
0: Mm. Amen. What an awesome prayer of blessings. I mean, it's, it's, (laughs) this would help me with my prayer life. If I wanted to just praise the father in my prayer, I'm just going to go through this list. I mean, it just covers everything. It covers all the And I just find it fascinating, Sean, is just like, so, okay, these three men have been tossed into this insanely hot fiery furnace, right? Yet the angel wasn't there yet. Right. And they're alive. They're walking around. Clothes are unsinged. Hairs unsinged. Like they're they're intact. And Azariah is essentially, you know, he's speaking. He's praying. He's he's um, admitting that they were inflammation, nation, and etc. It almost seems superfluous in a way to to have the angel come. Right? It's like they're already doing fine. They didn't necessarily need the angel to protect them because this angel gets sent in, in the middle of this of this. Uh, interaction right and um i just find it so fascinating that this angel does come and it's almost like hey you got the god of heaven and his angels you know got in your back here essentially like we're, we're on board with with what you're praying here and i think it was almost like a sign to nebuchadnezzar and those watching Just look okay like they're they're divine beings That are protecting people that are in covenant with the God of Gods, Lord of Lords, and I just find it very fascinating that this angel comes during the time that he comes. You know what I mean? It's almost like I said, what's they were doing fine before that? They were alive, so (laughs) I just I just love it. It just it just adds to a little extra spice to the story. It's like here we go. Not only am I going to keep you guys alive in there, but I'm going to send an angel and he's going to and just cover you up in this bubble and it's just going to be proof that the, the, the God of the heavens is really watching out for these people
1: real quick about the bubble itself, how how would be. There's so many things real quick. I want to talk about uh, before we go to some questions, but like, like this bubble that he, the angel created to after he showed up, how interesting that we see that same type of concept mm. from God, God's, In mythology, both in ancient mythology and also in modern incantations through comic books, we actually see this, guys, in a movie.
0: Yeah, Aquaman.
1: (laughs) So I don't have the sound on, Ken, so it shouldn't copyright us. But basically, this is what they do in this movie to create an encapsulated place for them to actually talk. And it's like wind and water whistling around them in order for them to be protected from the outside environment. And And this is, of course, from, quote, unquote, you know, gods. Uh, in this mythos of the storyline of Aquaman. So how interesting is, like, again, we have have this, like, um, it's not a perversion, but really, but it's like like they know, Mm -hmm. it's like people that are in the occult know what's possible, and they try to show us with all these fantasy movies, but so much of it is actually, I don't know if it's fantasy or not. Because it's like, I mean, obviously Aquaman is fantasy. I'm just saying, like, it's not, what, I guess what I'm trying to say is, to, for someone to read the prayer of Azariah and to think, oh man, I saw that in Aquaman, you think it, it would actually maybe discredit to you in your mind because you're like, oh, so they were just making up stories back then too.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You see what I'm saying? So, yeah. like, they because they try to and they take something that we the Bible does show as a real fact that has all this context to it, but they but but Hollywood changes it and layers it into all this, you know, twisted bad theology and, and bad ideas and make it seem like a fanciful fiction so therefore the whole idea has been diminished as a reality which is sad you know but yeah
0: yeah absolutely yeah. and it, it's it's just that's what they do with other comic book heroes right i mean they display some angelic characteristics like you know superman right he's one of the yeah. one of the ones you just he can fly at incredible speeds and he's you know nothing can hurt him and those are angels i mean that's that's the type of body of immortality that they were given. So
1: <laughs> Yeah, that that movie that came out several years ago with Will Smith called Hancock. That yeah. was literally they called themselves like ancient beings that were gods. divine yeah. gods, you know, and they had these powers of angels and they didn't have wings though because they didn't need them, you know. Okay. So I just thought it was interesting, but um I was there some of these like I've highlighted a couple places here um just to mm-hmm. mention, you know, the proper theology again because we're comparing the book with the canon of 66. So it is, it is important that we would have proper theology if if this guy is praying something to God. Yeah, exactly. And so, he yeah, seems so. to be repeating what I can see as proper theology.
0: Yeah, I mean, verse 32, you have, blessed are you that beholds the depths and sits upon the cherubim. So we know what was it in Ezekiel. We have Yahweh uh, enthroned on top of a firmament platform, essentially with the cherubim holding it up. That's right. Yeah, this is what we see in verse thirty-two, um, and and he uh, he can behold the depth. I mean, he he can he can see this f- the furthest depths of Sheol and beyond, and and the highest of heights in the heaven where he dwells. So,
1: yeah. So, at one, Psalm one thirty-nine, also in Amos two. Uh, I think it's also in. Um, Psalm 33. I'm just going off my memory. I think I'm wrong on Psalm 33, but it talks about how he, the Lord sits in heaven and can see down below nothing is hidden from his view, you mm-hmm. know, so he could see the depths of the earth. And obviously his spirit is everywhere, um, which is it's almost like his um, you know all he's like uh, Catholic terminology, they would try to call it like he's you know omniscient, right. Yeah. But it's really just to me it's like his spirit that is in all of creation. Would just be relating and communicating the information back to him basically mm-hmm. yeah you know yeah. because he's a physical being that literally is sitting on a throne in heaven
0: yeah i think a lot of people f- don't know that right yeah look at daniel look at enoch other places yahweh has hair he's got a face he's got a figure right he walks he talks he's got a body <laughs> yes <laughs>
1: so yeah, I've, heard, I've heard i've heard i've actually been ridiculed personally by people uh for claiming that yahweh actually has a body and for trying to show them the verses, because they've fallen into, you know, a, a Protestant, a severe reformed theology style Protestant doctrine that they claim that oh, Yahweh's not a man, that he should lie. He's not a man. So they take that one verse out of context, and then they ignore Daniel and Enoch and all those other ones. Mm-hmm. And they're like, no, and they ignore the whole premise of the gospel of the kingdom, which is the father and the son together together beings two ind- individuals are going to come down and live on the earth and and there'll be peace on the earth at some point so yeah um, and of course they come from the firmament which is what 30 verse 34 talks about
0: yeah blessed are you in the firmament of heaven genesis 1 we get that definition for what the uh the heaven is and that's firmament that was the name it was given to the firmament so it's that's right yeah yeah
1: and also uh well, <laughs> oh you heavens so now it's mentioning multiple multiple heavens, which I think is interesting. We've talked about this and you've done videos on this.
0: Yes, I have. Kingden Trooper in the uh, the chat saying the don't the seven domes Yahweh always sits upon. That's right. There seems to be seven of them from from the information that I've gathered and Sean's gathered that yeah. uh, he's at the very top of it. Right. He's the most high looking down through all of them. So,
1: yeah. And if you don't like our opinions and I mean, the, literally, there's a Hebrew professor in Israel today who testifies to the ancient writings of Israel talking about seven firmament layers.
0: Yeah, Miss Ellier. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so Sean, verse thirty-eight here. Okay, this is this is a cool one, right? Because we see this in Psalm one forty-eight, verse four: All you waters that be above the heaven or the firmament, bless the Lord, praise and exalt Him above all forever. So if we go over to Psalm one eighty-eight or one forty-eight, four rather, same thing. David's doing the same thing. Praise Him, O highest heavens, and you waters that are above the heavens.
1: It's wild. That's after the flood, isn't that Kim?
0: many years after the flood that's right water still up there and that's exactly how it should be because that's what genesis describes it as that's so, right yeah yeah
1: and so the, the rest he just goes on to seem like like everything he can think of in creation he starts naming yeah. off everything it reminds me of that scene from uh the anchor man where he's just like i love lamp and then will <laughs> ferrell's like are you just looking at things and saying you love them
0: <laughs> yeah. like, i love that yeah, that was good, that was good but i mean he's he's listing off jubilees too here right he's going through yes. the snow the hail the frost the lightnings this to that all the spirits over this and that so it's he's he's covering everything
1: yeah if this if um yeah this would be like if the jubilees and the prayer of azariah could be could be compiled and you know contrasted against each other compared against each other basically yeah yeah exactly so there's a there's a lot in here then he mentions the priests which i think is interesting cuz personally to me verse 62 63 and 64 Uh, Excuse me even 65 all four of these Verses like could easily be Like the same concept but but it's, It's to me this reminds Me of a common theme we see In Hebrew writing where they mention something And they have another statement to expound On the thing they just mentioned but They're talking about the same thing basically I don't Know if he's doing that here it just Seems reminiscent of that because he Mentions in verse 62 oh you priests of the Lord bless the Lord but then in verse 63 He's like oh you servants of the Lord well that's that could be the the Levites as well, right? The priests Mm -hmm. were chosen from the Levites and then the the rest of the Levites did their time and service to the tabernacle um, according to their age from 25 to 50. So like it, it could be, it could be either one, but, and also he talks about the, the spirits and souls of the righteous and then the holy, humble men of heart—well, that's supposed to be the priesthood as well. So, I just think it's interesting how he mentions, you know, this this correlation and breaks it down because he's yeah. he's already mentioned everything in creation. So now he's going to focus on actual job types of people.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then yeah. what do we have here? I mean, we've got it. We've got a, a possibly a priest, an angelic priest, you know, covering him as he's praying this, right? So yeah, it's awesome.
1: Yeah, it's yeah. That that would be my question. Like, if an angel ever shows up in my life, that's I'm gonna ask him. Hey, man, are you a part of a an actual priesthood, or are you just part of this, the the ministers that service the priesthood in heaven? You know, yeah. like that'll be one of my questions for them.
0: Uh, be fascinating. It would be. I, that's I've got gold, Sean, and one of them is before I draw my last breath on this earth is to s- interact with an angel. That'd be cool. And I want to know that it's an angel, you know what I mean? Not, not, not the whole Hebrews, like entertaining angels on a type thing. Um, yeah, that would be so awesome. I really think that'd be cool.
1: But wouldn't it just be, you know, poetic irony for you to, to get to the resurrection and you're, you're in your, in the new Jerusalem and angel comes up to you and you're like, I've seen you before. He's like, yeah, i met you when I was, you were like 12 and I came and I interacted and did something like you didn't know that you'd already interacted with an angel.
0: Yeah, yeah, it'd be interesting. That would be yes so this this book is awesome and this is an obvious thumbs up in my opinion uh a great book it's in the greek septuagint and the greek septuagint is a legitimate source of truth it was the book that uh the first century apostles definitely had in their possession and so they would have had this book they would have known all about these boys and and their time in the fire and how an angel came and wrapped them in a bubble and uh all this fun stuff that we just read, so yeah, awesome, awesome book. Sean's got on the screen here, the Prayer of Azariah, also called the Song of the Three Children, appeared after Daniel three twenty three, which we just we talked about earlier. It, it fits in perfectly here in the ancient Greek Septuagint. It is accepted as canonical scripture by Roman Catholic and Eastern Orthodox Christians, but rejected by the Protestant canon of sixty six. Unfortunately, dun, dun, dun. Yeah,
1: man, the more we do this, the more it makes me wonder, like if this some of this. Protestant movement was just a big charade for revisionist history on scripture.
0: Yeah. Yeah, man. I mean, that's, uh, it's a high possibility. That's for sure. It's more like a,
1: think about, you know, like the, the enemy, they, they deals with this, this strategy of like, um, you know, creating the problem and then bringing the solution, you know? So you got the Catholic church for so long, creating all this man-made doctrine everywhere and then abusing them the Catholic church being a self-proclaimed authority on the earth, quote unquote, the vicar of Christ on earth, right. Which is not biblical at all, which is abusing their position of being a teacher of scripture on the people that look to them for truth and wisdom. And so they abuse that for hundreds of years and create all these man-made traditions and doctrines, literally selling penances to get people out of purgatory. I mean, there's no other original earn your own salvation than that. Right. So like they're literally, they're fleecing the flock for actual money. Um, Due to the theological ideas And so then here comes this solution We'll get yeah. these these Higelian dialectic Yeah man, you have these rebels come out, these Protestants Who are they protesting? They're protesting the Catholic Church You know, s- since When and all of them, just think about this For one second, think about this uh, This whole, you know, idea of Pasting 95 things on a door And how that somehow has made it Throughout history The 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 The, the monk or the bishop or the priest of whomever of that catholic church that those that that letter was was nailed to the door he would have just he's not going to take a photo and put it on instagram and say look at the rebellion of the people no he's literally going to just pull it down and crinkle it up and throw it away and tell the archdiocese above him like Mm -hmm. it's not going to be a big deal unless it's made into a big deal yeah so this is the more we research yeah, these these ideas of how these books are taken out and kept in, but then glossed over, and then they come along, and then at the same time of the Protestant movement, the Catholic Church decides, you know what, we should make some of these deuterocanonical, because they're not as important as the rest. And then suddenly the Protestant picks up, and they say, well, you know what, those are just apocryphal altogether. We're not even going to listen to those anymore, anyway, and we're going to have a yeah. smaller canon. So, like, this whole process has been, like, the enemy whittling, whittling yes.
0: down, yeah over
1: time over centuries incrementally coming in and trying to just do a revision on the scriptures to leave people confused and taking out super important points of doctrine so they can bring in mass deception later like it's to to me like when you put it all together and and i haven't done a good present i haven't i don't have this on a slideshow to show anybody but like in my mind after three years of doing honor kings with you brother what comes through my head is that if I if I could put it all together and show the points in time where everything was revised, if I had the time to do that, I would. I just don't right now. You would you would see an incrementally progressive revision mm-hmm. of scripture. And if you actually pinpointed the doctrines that were removed from scripture and all the false theology that arose because those doctrines were removed. You would understand why we have the state of the church that we do today where no, everyone wants to believe, but no one has a clue what to believe because there's so many different churches teaching all this wonky stuff. And everyone's fighting because they don't have the actual answers in the book anymore. So they have to make up their own best guess. Yeah. And this is like the enemy just constantly coming in and trying to keep the body of Christ confused. And it breaks my heart. But like, it seems to be, this cannot be done by my men in a single generation. The very fact that, that everything I just explained, this progressive editing of the scriptures, proves unclean spirits and demons because they're the only ones that are along. They're, they're consistent throughout the mm-hmm. whole time frame. They're still mm-hmm. alive the whole time frame to incrementally do this through different generations of men, with it mm-hmm. with the outcome that they're desiring. Like one man in one generation didn't do this, and then just oh, coincidentally, the next guy in another generation, two hundred years later, took something out that was strategically important as well, and that was just a big coincidence. No. This is an orchestrated attack by the enemy and his unclean spirits. Yeah, and I'm sorry. I'm, I'm getting a little excited. Test- Sean,
0: no, no need. Testament of Dan six, verse one. We just read it. And now fear the Lord, my children, and beware of Satan and his spirits. Yeah. I mean, he's, he is a tactician. He knows what he's doing. He's had so much time to, to, to do what he's so good at. And it's just funny. I was just thinking the other day in the car, I'm just like, I was just like Satan you already know what is planned for you in days ahead like why don't you just go kick your feet up on a beach in Tahiti and chill out leave us alone <laughs> like why do you hate us so much why why are you going through all the trouble that you've gone through with your unclean spirits call them all back in why don't you guys just retreat somewhere and you know and take advantage of the time that you have before <laughs> you know what I mean it's just I'm obviously I'm just joking but At the same time, just like, it's so frustrating because the enemy is so good at what he does. And unfortunately, the people, um, people are asleep, man. They're asleep. They're not, they're not questioning things. They're not doing their research. They're not giving their best foot forward with regards to the God given brain that they have to, to look through the deception and to, to see the lies and the gaps just in the very Bibles that they, they skim through every once in a while, right? Yeah. And so it's, that's my prayer is that people would just wake up, you know, collectively, uh, starting with, you know, <laughs> the body of believers, just wake up and, and see that it, Satan has been working. He hasn't been dormant. He's, he's, a, he's a busy guy and he's been working, as you said, for centuries. And he has been a part of these movements that, you know, we sometimes like... Gladfully, uh, we'll say we adhere to like, I'm a Protestant and proud of it. Like, you know what I mean? Like all these, like they're bad titles and they come with really bad history. And, and I agree, brother. I mean, it's super sad.
1: Yeah. Think about like our generation, like what, what other book in the, in the world would people claim to know and want to talk about with pride and defense, defend it so staunchly uh, or their little interpretation of it and not really know the book. Like th- just think about it like this. Think about let's take a popular book that uh, you know, super popular book in the in our last, you know, 10-15 years. We have something like um, oh my goodness, I don't know what is that? a Tom Clancy novel or a Michael Carton novel or 50 Shades of Gray, right? Horrific pornographic book, sold m- m- boos of copies, millions upon millions upon millions of copies. The women that read that book, and yes, it's a woman's book. The women that read that book, none of them would go to their, their other women when they're having brunch or having mimosas or something and say, oh yeah, I read the first two pages of that book and then proceed to start talking about the book and defending parts of it they don't know anything about.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You, know, you would never, ever do that in your life. Your friends would immediately go, you're retarded. You don't know what you're saying. You're acting foolish right now. You haven't actually read the book. That's not the way the book goes. Stop yeah. talking you know you're 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 being really arrogant, uh, arrogant right now thinking that you know about this book and you clearly haven't read it but when it comes to the bible people do it every day every mm-hmm. day all the time and no one's actually being reading like the majority of people do not actually read the bible you know and so then they and then sometimes you find out that even pastors don't really know the bible that well yes. and that's yes. the part that becomes heartbreaking to me
0: absolutely because they're they're shepherding a flock and they're just uh it's and But there's good people out there too, right? We, we want to shed light on those who, who actually do care and are trying their best. And uh, we're living in tough times for sure. But I think Sean and I, our goal is is to get people to to test kind of the, the preconceived biases that we've all grown up with, unfortunately. And, uh, you know, it's in my opinion, it is very, very important to look into these books and to not be afraid of the scrutiny that will come with it. And like I said, we've got we've got groups if you're one of those people who's just always been intrigued with with the fact that there's other books and other Bibles across the world, we've got groups where you can safely come in and ask questions and and have loving, fruitful discussions in these groups. And so, please, I,
1: I, I knew I was going to have to do this, Ken. I'm sorry. I got to clear. Someone thinks I actually read the book. Fifty Shades of Grey. No, I haven't actually read that book. I was just using a very <laughs> popular, best-selling book that a lot of people have read, but they would never talk. You know they would never talk authoritatively about a book that they haven't actually read but people still do that with the bible no i haven't read those books
0: yeah. hopefully earl was was just joking yeah hopefully we it's hard, we, to, don't hard to we don't know we don't know yeah
1: but we do have a quick question for master soup what's up, brother master soup good to see you could the michael sedek have been an angel just a thought i see this a lot ken what do you think yeah
0: um i know a common theory is that it could possibly be shem and that's derived from the book of jasher which sean and i are uh uncertain about with that book right now but uh i don't think i don't think it is it if it would have been i think it would have said in the text directly that that it was an angel but i don't know honestly i'm not sure i think it was just a human being Mm -hmm. um one of the descendants of one of the patriarchs who was acting in uh the priestly order
1: Yeah. And I'm trying to pull this up as quickly as possible, but you know, the book of Jubilees talks about this same moment with Abraham and except it has some information that Genesis doesn't about the Melchizedek and let me see if I can go to it real quick. Yeah, it's a
0: very, very intriguing question. I mean, it's Genesis. It's a very brief interaction that Abraham has with this Melchizedek character and we don't, Anything else about it, and then unfortunately we get theories built off of who that it was Jesus or it was uh, you know Shem or something. But
1: so actually uh, here in the Book of Jubilees in chapter thirteen, it's that same Genesis fourteen moment. Abraham rescues Lot um, from Catalaomer. They come back, and he gives uh, he gives a tithe to the Maccelsek. But here it says the Maccelsek gave it unto his priests to eat and to drink with joy before him. Because, guys, this is Deuteronomy chapter 18. This is giving a tithe to the priest, and they're supposed to eat it. That's Torah. So, the purpose of this, guys, is that he, not the Melchizedek himself, is not just by himself. He has priests with him. Why? Because that's what you do in a priesthood. You train other men to be priests with you. There's a high priest. That's why he's the priest of the most high God. But he's the one that Abraham is actually paying the, the homage to as the, the actual leader. But there's other priests. Underneath him that would be eating this As well and to drink of of this Eat and drink of this of this offering Given by Abraham so the point is It's Good a human on. it's a human for One but two um, an, angel, an angelic You know I know a lot of people say well it could Just be an angel with multiple angels but guys this Literally this guy was reigning over a city So the angels don't come down They're not this is what Enoch tells us angels Aren't meant to come down and live on the earth Amongst mankind that was not given to them to do the only reason they came down in the days of the watchers Was for a mission <laughs> yeah. You know they weren't they were never Told to come down here and live this in fact They're reprimanded specifically in the book of Enoch Chapters 9 through 15 that they're not supposed To do that and they're definitely not Coming down to live and exist as literally A king over a kingdom during the days Of Abraham so this is You know it's a man it's, it's theorized To who specifically it is it's gonna In my opinion it's a descendant of Shem it could be Selah it could be a uh, Peleg. It could be any number of people that are not mentioned, that ha- that were taught by Shem righteousness, because Shem lived five hundred years after the flood, so that's a lot of time for him to teach other people the law of God as he was taught it by Noah, and for them to become priests to which Noah could could give. Even if it's not Shem, it could be anyone else that Shem could have taught, because the whole point of the priesthood is that it replicates itself.
0: Yeah, exactly, exactly, and I, I have a funny suspicion that. Uh... There's another writing out there that elaborates on the Melchizedek character a little more. But. You
1: know, uh, Zen Garcia claims that there's a, I think it's the Apocalypse of Abraham or the writing. That them, one of the, he was reading from it a few weeks ago with Skiba and they were talking about, um, it's, a, it's a book that there's a lot of stuff in there that immediately threw up a lot of red flags to me, but one of them that he was reading that or he claims, I don't know if he actually read it on, on air, but he claimed that in that book, it says that the was an angel. So that could be where this theory gets floated around from some of this second and third century AD writings for, you know, these, these, uh you know, I'm trying to be as gentle as possible mm-hmm. with how I explain this, but you know, there's, there's other teachers out there that read a lot of stuff that they haven't taken through the same testing process that you and I are doing with our Kings. Yeah. And they just speak it like it's scripture. And it throws a lot of confusion out there. And I think this is one of those times.
0: Yeah, yeah, it could very well be, man. I'm yeah. seeing another question in the chat there, Sean, from Sister Marsha. She's got it in all caps. I don't know if you see it or not. I'll read it and if you can find it. If Nimrod, etc., could or could have broke through the ferment, did they know the waters would come down? Was there flood? Could they have drowned? Um, yeah, well, we know that apparently what they were planning on doing would have been successful or had the potential to be successful if Yahweh hadn't interjected with his angels and and come down and did what he did so I don't know I don't know what the the overall plan was I'm not sure how far in advance Nimrod and his uh his counselors would have would have thought about well what happens when we actually get to this structure that's above us like what are we going to do we're going to drill a hole through it and let it kind of drain out and at least we'll be at the top here and then when it all drains and we have access we can s- sneak our way through and see if we can i guess go up six more for minutes <laughs> <laughs> to get to the most high because i mean i don't know if he knew about how how high the most high was really sitting up there because uh yeah i mean it, it ridiculous anyways very pompous full of hubris this this act that he tried to do is ridiculous i don't know how far in advance he he really thought about it but I guess, I mean, if you, if you're drawing holes through it, there's floodgates up there, right? And they opened up during the the time of Noah's flood. So I don't know if he thought he could sneak through one of those or, or whatever else, but it's, it's fun to, to to think about sister, but, uh, I, I actually don't know. I can't answer you with any, any validation through scripture or or text that would indicate how he was planning on doing that successfully.
1: I've got an idea. Okay. Let's hear it. He is ready. Amos 9, 2 and 3. Though they dig into Sheol, from there my hand will take them. Though they ascend to heaven, from there I will bring them down. Though they hide on the summit of Mount Carmel, I will search them out and take them from there. And though they conceal themselves from my sight on the floor of the sea, from there I will command the serpent and it will bite them. I think the ancient Nephilim had a ton of technology that we don't. Mm-hmm. just the, the, for the very simple reason of the fact that they could build the Tower of Babel, which in which inherent for anyone that's an engineer, you understand the challenges that would go with the claim. Like Jubilee's claims, it was like 1.6 miles tall. We can't even do that in modernity right now. Like modern skyscrapers, like the, the biggest one being built that might surpass the Burj Khalifa is still not even a mile tall. Yeah. So, and that's going to be like 210 floors. And I think it's called the well, it was the Kingdom Tower, but now it's called—it's going to be called the um, uh, the Dubai Creek Tower. So the point is that, like the, the ancients, they had advanced technology, guys. I promise you that we uh, that we could have today, but I think the, the the kings of the earth are suppressing it for mankind. Um, but you know, there's independent inventors out there trying to quickly, in my opinion, catching up to independently stumbling upon you know, the way all the different ways that the things that we can do with this creation. But I think that the people right after the days of Noah, guys, they didn't have the distractions of Twitter, Facebook and TV and constant programming since childhood. Like these dudes were super smart. And they also heard all the stories from Noah and Shem. So it's just a natural process of life. If you hear about the rebellious angels doing crazy stuff and flying through the air and advanced technology, because they literally were showing the secrets of heaven that men were striving to learn as Enoch talks about, mm-hmm. then you're going to try to replicate that because you know, it's possible. And this is a consistent thing we see with humanity. If you know something's possible, you will replicate it and try to do it better because you know, it can be done. All right. So. This is to me why they're building a tower to begin with. They know it can be reached. It's literally there. They know it's there. They're going to reach it. In addition to just the height of the tower, which requires an amazing amount of, of, of knowledge, they also had other forms of knowledge, which I think what you're looking at on screen here is why we see all these depictions of flying vehicles from the Sanskrit writings of 4,000 years ago, and the Assyrian hieroglyphs from 3,000 years ago, from the Egyptians from 3,000 years ago, guys. I think they had advanced technology that we don't understand. This is that that whole concept is being exploited by the modern day narrative through ridiculous shows like The Ancient Aliens. Mm-hmm. But they're not from outer space. It was literally just the Nephilim of today, and this is why Yeshua is, or excuse me, Yahweh is telling them in Amos nine. I don't care if you go to heaven or you try to hide in Sheol. I'm going to get you or if you yep. try to hide on this floor of the sea. Now, specifically, I, I apologize for the long lead-in, but specifically, Miss Marsha, to your question, if the, if the firmament above has water above it, well, then they anticipate having to go through lots of water and water pressure in order to get through there. Yes, there may have been some sort of flood, but remember what Genesis talks about, there's actual flood gates. Mm-hmm. So they may have thought they were to able to get to those gates and open those gates. So it's not, if you just open one gate instead of all of them, you're not flooding the whole world again. Um, and maybe you can close the gate if you can figure out how to open it. The point is, I think like literally they, they know how to, uh, they know how to deal with, like the idea of us having a submarine and like that being a big deal in, uh, in our modern age, I think that they figured that stuff out a long, long, long time ago.
0: Yeah. I would agree, man. I, I yeah. agree. And obviously it goes in the face of the whole Darwin, Darwinian evolution and how we're, we're getting smarter and, you know, people, Well before us, were were knuckle draggers. Um, No, and and actually, I think it's Second Baruch that talks about how, you know, men were larger not only in stature; they're genetically superior um, from Adam, like from Adam and onwards. And it just got worse and worse and worse. So so this idea that we're getting better, it's it's a complete lie, complete lie.
1: Um, You want to take one last question? We'll go.
0: Yeah, sure, man. Okay,
1: brother. Um, I'm trying to see. Did you see one you want to pick out? There's several here, but we only have time for one.
0: Um, uh, Lady Bear's got an interesting one, I think. Okay. And she's asking, "Do you think that Satan was created, like the way um, he came from the beginning, so the Father could allow us to have choice to choose between good or bad?" um are you asking do we think that satan was specifically created evil like that yahweh or over- create satan to be evil so that he could enact his will on mankind and then we would have this concept of choosing good or evil and he would be the one that would you know help that come to fruition i i believe that the father knew the end from the beginning he knew when he was creating mastema as same character satan that he would rebel and that he would be prideful and um he just he allowed it to happen because he, he sees the end from the beginning but he i don't i i rejected the idea that he created satan specifically to be evil right. he right. just threw through his foreknowledge and him being the supreme <laughs> you know immortal unbegotten without mother without father uh god that he is he he saw satan uh Doing what he was going to do when he, he allowed it he didn't create it
1: yeah yeah just like he does with us like he doesn't he didn't make hitler evil he he hitler had free will he chose the wrong path he allowed that uh to happen but then that you know that was recompensed at one point when justice mm-hmm. was actually done uh to that guy and his efforts so you know it's um yeah he doesn't just create evil he doesn't create in fact, a lot of people go. I think there's a verses in Isaiah 42 where it talks about I, I create calamity and I create, and then many translations it says I create evil yeah. and I create good, but it's the word calamity and it has a reference in with judgment and the the calamities that come with God judging nations. It's not He did not create everything so that it was evil. Everything that He created after six days of creation, He said it was good.
0: Yeah, and, exactly. the, and the angels
1: are created on day one. It's good.
0: Exactly, and, yeah. and and with that, like there's people who think. And I think I was grow, I grew up with this concept of God must have created demons because I mean they we don't know where they came from, right? We only see Jesus and the apostles dealing with them in the first century, and then they were they must have been there before, so uh, God must have created them at some point. But that's and what we you used to think. That, no, that's what we were. That's what I was taught in church. Okay, and that's because we didn't have First Enoch, we didn't have the Book of Jubilees, these books that Sean and I really think are are important integral component pieces within the overarching theological story of the beginning and the end and knowing these characters like the unclean spirits like they they were the neph the dead nephilim spirits the, the unclean spirits that, that resulted from the flood and so the father didn't create them in fact we have rebellious watchers that we mentioned earlier who who procreated with daughters of men and created these these hybrids that were never meant to be and uh through their their own free will the angels that is they did this and and what resulted from that was unclean spirits through their 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 sons that had to be dealt with so very important books that we're covering guys and and without them we make up these theories that don't make sense and it drives people further away from a faith in god because it just doesn't make sense so this is why we need the whole storyline and i i hope that we've we've been sufficient with our efforts here at hanging on hang, hang on his words kingdom in context here on honor of kings. And that's what we want to do is, is, is make the story as full and complete as it should be. So I, I man,
1: brother, I agree. That's our effort.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Guys, if you wouldn't mind hitting the like button on this video before we go subscribe, like I said earlier, to both of our channels, hanging on his words, kingdom in context, um, leave a comment. Share it with your family and friends on your social media platforms, please. Like if if, if you like what we're doing and, and you're blessed by our efforts, please like help a couple brothers out, you know, So John, I love it, man. Thanks again for joining me tonight. I, uh, I appreciate you and your wisdom and your zeal for the Father's word. in these days where people seem to not be caring so much, you know?
1: Yeah, you too, brother. You're a blessing to me as well. I appreciate. Us having the opportunity to come together and do this, and everyone that's watching us. So hopefully, um, am Ken, I'm not going to be available next week, but the following week after that, we can get back to
0: it. Okay, sounds good, brother. So All we'll right. see you guys in a couple weeks. See you guys later. Adam and Eve introduced sin into the world, and their act removed our ability to walk around unrestricted. No need to worry though; hanging on his words has got you covered, literally. Find a link in the video description.